You are listening to a Writers at Stanton podcast. Every month, Stanton Library hosts some of the world's most exciting writers and thinkers to discuss their latest books. Thank you for joining us. On behalf of North Sydney Council and Constant Reader Bookshop, welcome to the Library and the Writers at Stanton program. Before we begin the proceedings, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands on which we meet and to pay our respects to the spirits of ancestors of both past and present. My name is Margaret Nicholson. I'm the program support librarian from the customer service team. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Craig Silvey here to talk about his new book, Runt, which is a heartwarming and hilarious tale of kindness, friendship, hurdles, hoops, tunnels, seesaws, being yourself and bringing out the best in others. I read it over the weekend and absolutely loved it. So Craig is an author and screenwriter from Fremantle, Western Australia. His critically acclaimed novel, Rhubarb, was published in 2004. His best-selling novel, Jasper Jones, was released in 2009 and is considered a modern Australian classic. It was published in over a dozen countries, territories, won plaudits in three continents, including an international Dublin Literary Award, a short listing, uh, Michael J. Prince Honor Award and a Miles Franklin Literary Award shortlisting. It was also the Australian Book Industry Awards Book of the Year for 2010. Craig's third novel, Honey Bee, was published in 2019 and won Best Fiction for the Indie Book Awards 2021 and Dimmick's Book of the Year 2020. Please give a warm welcome to Craig Silvey. Thank you so much. Um, I am Craig Silvey. Uh, I'm an author and a screenwriter from Fremantle, Western Australia. I'm also deeply grateful that you're all here. Um, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be back in a room full of people uh, to talk about books and stories. Um, obviously, we've, we've all been through the rigours of the pandemic and you know, adaptable as we were and wonderful as the Zoom chats and Teams meetings have been, it's just not quite the same. Um, so it's really lovely that you've taken the time to, to come out today um, and then I've got the opportunity to speak to you all. Um, principally about my latest novel, Runt, uh, which is ostensibly a book for younger readers, but I really feel as though it's for everyone. It's for the whole family. Um, uh, there are points of entry for, for older readers and, and characters that I feel like older readers can identify with, uh, but younger readers obviously um, uh, have really loved this book and uh, really followed the travails of our main character, whose name is Annie Shearer. She is 11 years old and she lives in the country town of Ups and Downs on her parents' sheep farm. Annie has a proclivity for fixing things. In fact, she wears an old leather tool belt with her everywhere she goes. It used to belong to her late uh, grandpa, Wally, who was a bit of an eccentric inventor. And Annie is a bit solitary by nature, but her best and only friend is a stray dog who she rescued, and his name is Runt. And the two are inseparable. They have a very close bond. Runt and Annie adore each other, and Runt follows Annie everywhere that she goes, and he obeys her every whim and command. And on account of his many years on the main streets of ups and downs, evading capture, Runt is actually quite a spry 
an agile and athletic dog, which makes the two of them quite a formidable team when it comes to herding up the shearer's sheep, which are routinely breaking out in search of greener pastures. Those greener pastures happen to be across the road in the lush, verdant, green estates of one Earl Robert Barron, who is one of our chief baddies in Runt. Earl is a bit of a bastard. He is a collector from anything from Rembrandt's to Shakespeare's quills to Freud's couch to Shackleton's lamp. Um, he loves collecting things not for the inherent beauty of these objects, uh, not to appreciate them, but for the smug thrill of withholding them from other people. But his most valuable resource is the town's water supply. He has dammed the river and he's starving the town uh, of their water source. And in doing so, uh, he's putting people under pressure. The town of Ups and Downs is in a state of decay and people are having to sell up. They're under a lot of pressure. The reason for this is because Earl wants to buy their properties. He's collecting them one farm at a time. He's collecting their lives and their legacies and their histories. And the property that he covets the most is the Shearer's farm across the road. And when Annie learns of this, her instinct is to want to fix it. So in looking for a solution, she finally finds one at the Woolorama show when she and Runt stumble across a canine agility course competition. And she sees these dogs jumping over hurdles, running through tunnels, weaving through slaloms, and she recognises that she and Runt may well have a competitive advantage. And so they enter. And when she does so, she learns that were they to do well enough, they might qualify for the Crumpets Dog Show in London, which would offer a cash prize which would more than capably solve the Shearer's family financial woes. However, there are a couple of hurdles uh, that they need to clear. The first uh, and most difficult of these is the fact that Runt will not move. He won't obey Annie if anyone else is watching. It has to just be the two of them. So this is quite an, quite an issue for Annie, especially given that Crumpets is watched by millions worldwide. The other problem is Runt's other baddie. His name is Fergus Fink. He comes from a long line of Finks. Uh, the Fink family have won uh, both the national titles and the Crumpets Grand Championship um, through each of their generations. Each antecedent has, has won there, all except Fergus, who has finished runner-up 15 times in a row. And so it's made him quite a desperate man. And so when he sees Annie and Runt, these young interlopers who are presenting... Uh, a very viable challenge to him, he will stop at nothing uh, from preventing them from winning. But fortunately, Annie has quite a lovely, supportive, wonderful family uh, who all pitch in to help. Her brother, Max, who is 13 years old and he is an aspiring daredevil. He wants to be a YouTube sensation, although unfortunately he only has 25 subscribers and he's not particularly good at it. Her mother, Susie, uh, who is a vibrantly fashionable person, 
but who also happens to be the worst cook in ups and downs. Uh, you know, they're struggling financially, and so she uh, she haunts the, the bargain bins of ups and downs supermarkets uh, and puts all the ingredients together in what they call humble pie, and nobody has the heart to tell her she can't cook at all. Her dad, Brian, who inherited the family farm uh, and felt as though it was his duty uh, to carry on Wally's legacy. But Brian has a hidden passion, uh, which uh, he pours a lot of his efforts into. Um, and Annie helps him uh, bring that to light, I suppose. And there's Dolly, who is Annie's grandmother, who is uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, and struggling to find it. She's on an app called Widower, uh, and it's going nowhere. Um, and so we follow her travails as well. What I'd like to do uh, is offer a couple of readings, and then after that, I'm hoping that maybe you have some questions about Runt or Jasper Jones or Honeybee or Rhubarb or any of my alternative works or screenwriting or any of these things. Um, Alternatively, we can just sort of awkwardly stare at each other. That's fine too. <laughs> Happy to do that. You're a good-looking bunch. So I'd first like to read uh, from the opening chapter. And I'd also like to mention, before I do so, actually, it's very important that I do so, that we have the extraordinary fortune and delight of having the illustrator of Runt here with us today. Her name is Sarah Acton. She is brilliant. She brought this book to life. Uh, she obviously made this cover image here, uh, which is just gorgeous, and the internals as well. So we meet Annie in chapter one, and this is Annie right here. It's just the most beautiful art and I'm just besotted with it and spellbound uh, like the rest of the country is at the moment. So we're very lucky to have Sarah here too. I'm sure she might answer some questions too. Who knows? Maybe. We have a roving mic, you know. We can be adaptable, flexible. Sorry. Chapter one. Meet Annie. Annie Shearer lives in the town of Ups and Downs. She is 11 years old and short for her age. She has brown hair and brown eyes. She lives on a sheep farm with her parents, Brian and Susie, her brother, Max, and her grandma, Dolly. People in ups and downs think Annie is a bit different. They think it's odd that they have never seen her laugh, even though she is often quite happy. They think it's strange that they've never seen her cry, even though she is sometimes quite sad. They think it's weird that she wears an old leather tool belt wherever she goes, even though Annie finds it useful having so many pockets to store items that can be used to fix things. They worry that she must be lonely because she spends so much time by herself, but Annie quite enjoys her own company, and besides, she has a very special friend. He is a dog, and his name is Runt. Annie knows she is a bit different, but she doesn't think she is odd or strange or weird. The truth is, everybody is unique. No two people are the same. Even identical twins can have different interests, and it makes the world a more interesting place. Annie enjoys reading about exotic creatures with hidden talents. For example, in the darkest depths of the ocean, there's a fish with a glowing torch poking out of its head. It's called an anglerfish. 
In the forests of Australia, there is a bird that can mimic perfectly any sound that it hears. It's called a lyrebird. And in Africa, there's a frog that lives in a bubble of its own snot. It's called an African bullfrog. And in ups and downs, there is runt. Runt can't mimic any sounds, he doesn't have a torch sprouting from his head, and he doesn't live in a bubble of snot. But his hidden talents are extraordinary. I'd next like to read from a little passage from the chapter called Runt, uh, and it's all about Annie and Runt meeting. Nobody knows where Runt came from or how he got to ups and downs. There were rumours that he was a stray from the city who hopped onto a freight train. Some suggested that he was an unwanted pet, abandoned by the side of the road. Others speculated that he was born into a litter of wild dogs and lost, lost touch with the pack. Either way, one day, a small brown dog arrived in ups and downs with nobody to look after him. He roamed the streets and he did what he could to survive. He scavenged from bins behind the butcher and the baker. He nibbled at vegetable gardens and sniffed out backyard fruit trees. He stole eggs from chook sheds. He sneaked into the supermarket and nabbed food from the shelves. On one occasion, he wandered into the golden fleece and took a chicken schnitzel right off the plate. The small brown dog was sneaky and cheeky and infamous. That little runt, they called him. He was a source of irritation and consternation and exasperation. People were forever shooing him away or trying to catch him. Nobody more so than Constable Duncan Bayleaf, who doubled as the local ranger. Constable Bayleaf was obsessed. Every day he patrolled the roads in search of his elusive nemesis. Whenever he received a complaint or a report of a sighting, he stopped whatever he was doing hopped in his police wagon, started the siren, and hurtled away. Constable Bailiff fancied himself as an outstanding athlete. There was no cover drive he couldn't chase to the boundary, no midfielder he couldn't run down and tackle, no race he hadn't won. In his career as an officer of the law, he had successfully apprehended every single criminal who ever fled a scene, except one, the dog they called Runt. Runt was slippery as an eel and cunning as a fox. He could dart like a rabbit, bounce like a gazelle, and climb like a monkey. He was spry and agile and clever. Constable Bayleaf would sprint after him, wielding a long pole with a rope snare at the end. But Runt would dodge and weave and faint. He would leap over cars, crawl under fences, and scale walls with ease. People in the street would often join the chase, trying to snatch him and dive on him and trap him, but Runt slipped past them all, vanishing into the shadows like a panther in the jungle, leaving behind a parade of panting pedestrians and one thwarted constable. As you might imagine, Runt developed a fear of people. He always kept a cautious distance. Most nights, he slept beneath the statue of the big ram. He shivered through the winter, and he ached with hunger. He was all alone, and then he met Annie Shearer. I will leave it there. Oh, that's not necessary. Thank you, though. 
Look, Jay hasn't stood up to indicate that I should throw it to questions. However, I am uh, out of material. Okay, it's pretty I've got the big thumb. So at this point, I think we have a roving mic. Oh, there we are. Okay, great. Um, if anyone has any questions at, at all about Runt, about my former works, about films, about life, about love, I don't really mind. I can throw it out and go at it. Hello. Great. I mean, it is, it is ostensibly a, a middle-grade uh, chapter book, a novel, uh, which is typically uh, between eight years and 12. However, I really feel that Runt is for everybody. Um, it's readily digestible by, by any reader. If you love stories, if you want to feel uplifted and overjoyed and uh, moved, uh, the Runt would be the, the book for you. The question is, do I feel Runt is in the first uh, in a series? Well, my publisher Jane is here today, uh, so she's uh, <laughs> nodding her head. Uh, so I guess opening week sales are pretty good. So maybe I'll get to work. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to go here and then there, and if that's okay. And if you can just repeat the question, so we can record it for the podcast. Sure thing. We'll give you a break. Uh, okay. Hello. Uh, I wonder what your screenplays were. Yes, the screenplays that I've written. Um, I I did indeed write the the adaptation for for Jasper Giants, which was a wonderful experience. It was a an, it was an acute challenge. I didn't have a lot of time to learn on the fly. Um, we were under a significant pressure, and we we had a uh, a very tight deadline but I adored the experience. Um, every layer from development to pre-production to going into production to post, um, it was extraordinary. The opportunity to, to be on a film set, to have a, 100 people, um, each working uh, in their separate departments to bring uh, a story that I had divined to life on screen uh, was remarkable. Um, so I, I, I really delighted in the opportunity to, to write it. It's a bit of a code switch. It's like uh, writing in a different language, I suppose. You're trying to communicate the same ideas, but you're doing it in a vastly different way. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed that opportunity. Since then, um, I've written a, a sort of independent thriller, which is currently treading water and not particularly doing very well. I've written a western, uh, which is, uh, has uh, much better prospects. In fact, it's called The Prospector. Um, uh, I am in the early stages of developing my novel Honeybee for the screen, so I've sold the option. Uh, and the, uh, the strategy from, from this point is to develop it as a six-part series for a streaming platform. Um, and so we're just assembling our writers group at the moment, and I'll be the lead writer on, on that project. So it'll be a six-part series. Um, and I have also uh, written the screenplay for Runt. Um, I actually developed them at the same time, knowing how long these things can take. Um, and we're a bit further advanced at this stage than ordinarily we might be. So we have a wonderful producer on board. Uh, we have a terrific director attached. We have a distributor. Um, and so we're just sending out to cast now with our fingers tightly crossed because um, they're... 
we have some very hopeful selections. Um, but it's looking increasingly likely that we'll go into production next year. So uh, Runt on, on screens nationwide uh, looks very viable and likely at th this stage. Hello, ma'am. Hi. Good, thank you. I have matured, yes. Yeah. I've, uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. How long did it take me to write Runt? Yes, so I, I, I had the idea in my back pocket for a few years and I'd think about it from time to time and, you know, I felt it calling to me but I didn't quite have the, the creative space to, to work on it. Um, I'm a big believer in the right stories finding us at the right time um, and I think that's true for writers as much as readers. A couple of things happened. The first is that I finished the final edits for my novel Honeybee, which was quite an emotionally arduous and exhausting book for me to write. Um, you know, it's a very hopeful, optimistic story, um, but it traverses some, some dark and traumatic areas. Uh, and so I was looking for a creative departure, something that felt very different, maybe a little lighter. And at the same time, uh, we were in the middle of a pandemic. We found ourselves isolated, locked in, nursing some anxieties and some uncertainties and some financial concerns as well. And so it felt really natural for me to reach into the bottom drawer and spend my days in the very admirable company of Annie Shearer and Runt. It was really soothing. Um, it, was, it was comforting and it was inspiring. You know, Annie's a very hopeful character and her hope is infectious. Just by being herself, she inspires generosity and kindness and hope in the people around her. Um, and she certainly inspired that in me. Um, it was a real joy uh, working on this story. So to answer your question, sorry. Uh, Runt probably took me uh, between nine months and a, and a year to, to finish the first draft. And uh, at the same time, I was uh, dipping in and out of the screenplay as well. So I kind of worked on the two together. Um, and then the editing process wasn't too arduous at all, really. You know, we spent a few months on it and uh, getting it right. So all told, maybe about 18 months. Yeah. And writing a screenplay at the same time, When I write the screenplay, do I have specific actors in mind? Am I casting my film as I'm going? A little bit, yeah, I have to say. Um, uh, you know, sometimes your casting choices shift a little bit, I suppose, but you're always attuned to maybe who might inhabit the role uh, the, the best, you know. Um, you know, I had, uh, for Fergus Fink, for example, who's a very bombastic, dastardly, fluid villain. I had anyone from Taika Waititi to Rowan Atkinson to Alan Cumming, uh, uh, you know, all, all, all manner of, to Sasha Baron Cohen, um, you know, who I think would very ably fill that role. Brian, who is Annie's mother, you know, I had everyone from Russell Crowe to Hemsey to, uh, you know, if these guys are available. Um, Hugh Jackman, if you're listening in. Um, you know, quite help our film's budget, to be honest with you. That'd be great. Yeah. Thanks. 
Thank you. Thank you. The comment is that uh, this lady fortunately uh, cap caught one of my interviews on the radio, which was uh, being broadcast at 5 a.m., um, and you make the very astute point that it's not a particularly good time for me to sell a book. Um, certainly not a good time for me to conduct an interview. Um, I have a feeling that that one was potentially replayed, um, you know, but I will pass that on to my publicist uh, in a very angry fax in all caps uh, to prevent that from happening. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go here. I'll, I'll go in this direction like one of those kind of carnival clowns, I suppose. Craig is repeating the question, so that's right. Hi, Craig, how are you? I'm really well. That's good. I'm Hayley. We chat a lot on Instagram. Um, Jasper Jones is one of my absolute favourite all-time books. And I think if my sons grow up with the integrity that Jasper has, I will be a very proud mother. So that's my first comment. He's such a lovely character. In When I watched him, when I read the book, I had angst towards the mother. I, I thought... Mm, she's disappointing, she's let him down a little bit. But I'll watch the story with uh, the, on TV and Tony Collette plays it. I felt sorry for her and I had empathy. And I wondered the whole time, is that the way Tony Collette played it? Is that the way you wrote it? Because I had very distinct opposite feelings around the mother in that. In that. And, and now that I know that you wrote the screenplay, I wondered if you deliberately did that. And I'm going to hand off the microphone because I've brought my eight-year-old <laughs> and today my son's four-year-old to see you and I know what they're going to do with this microphone, so I'm going to pass it on. Well, what a fantastic question. Thank you so much. Secondly, happy birthday. Yeah. My goodness. Yes, a round of applause for today. Wonderful. Um, that's so astutely put. The way uh, how I would approach it is, is to say this. It might be my name on the front cover of a book, uh, but in the case of Jasper Jones, uh, the person who is telling us the story is Charlie Buckton. And he's a 14-year-old boy in the mid-1960s in a country town. And we see this story through his very specific lens. And there aren't many 14-year-old boys who are prepared to give their mother a fair hearing. Uh, uh, and so it's, it's flavoured, it's coloured by their interactions, um, by Charlie um, contending with uh, all these different ingredients of what he's going through at that moment. Um, there's a lot of friction between Charlie uh, and his mother. And so we don't quite get an objective look at Ruth's backstory. I mean, we can intuit it as a reader if we look beyond Charlie's lens and we can see what's happening. Ruth is somebody in the mid-60s in small-town Australia who feels trapped, who feels restless. And she sees her son, who is on the cusp of inheriting all these freedoms, all these liberties that she feels that she's given up and that she's lost, and she's a bit bitter. She's a bit envious of Charlie, and it flavours their relationship. It creates a conflict between the two of them. But Charlie's not uh, per perceptive enough to, to pick up on that. What a film offers us, what a stage adaptation offers us, is a broader lens with which to uh, perceive and present... Right, so we see a more objective 
uh, portrayal of Ruth once we widen our lens a little bit. And so uh, what I was able to do with the screenplay and what Tony was able to do with the character was uh, to, to give her a fairer hearing. You know, we saw her as she, as she really was. Um, and it was a really wonderful opportunity. We had an opportunity to uh, uh, create a portrayal of uh, a woman in that era contending with these things uh, uh, a little more justly. And it was, I think, um, it shifted the goalposts for a lot of the audience who were familiar with the book. I think we started to, you know, I always pitied Ruth. Uh, I always felt for her a little bit. Um, and I think we had opportunity to, to do that. Yeah, she's going to have some adventures, that's for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, Craig, I, I also really like Jasper Jones. That was a wonderful read. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, uh, my question is, uh, you as a writer, do you prescribe to the, um, to the idea that wonderful writers are also very wide readers? If so, what kind of genre do you like to read for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I grew up reading as diversely as I could. You know, I devoured uh, whatever books came my way and I was cultivating my tastes, I suppose, and my own perspectives and, and learning what I loved and, and, and what I didn't. I do read quite widely between non-fiction and fiction and literary fiction um, and genre fiction. Um, the sad truth is that I have less and less time to read these days, my my to be read pile is uh, is quite a pillar uh, at the moment, it's, and it's frightening. Um, I'd love to take a year off and just catch up on everything. There's so many wonderful books uh, for me to read. The other problem is that uh, when I'm writing, I tend to be very protective of the voice that I'm developing and trying to cultivate, and I'm worried about voices from the outside uh, intruding on that. You know, you're holding something very delicate when you're developing a new work and uh, trying to capture a new voice that feels vague and indistinct to you. Um, and so the last thing you want to do is uh, flavour that with uh, alternative perspectives or, or really strong voices. Um, and so I tend to shy away from, from a lot of books um, or a lot of new books, particularly when, when I'm writing, which unfortunately at the moment, well, not unfortunately, but it tends to be all the time. Uh, so I've had less and less time to, to read. But the good thing about Runt is that it enabled me to reacquaint myself with those books that I grew up loving and the books that shaped me, like Charlotte's Web, uh, like uh, Roald Dahl's catalogue, you know, from Matilda to uh, Danny Champion the World, uh, to uh, uh, Charlie uh, uh, and the Chocolate Factory, um, to Paul Jennings, to Robin Klein, uh, to, for some reason, uh, James Herriot and his All Creatures Great and Small series. I adored that as a kid. Um, you know, so this book is a bit of a love letter to those books that I held very clear and uh, very dear. And, you know, it's... Um, I wanted it to have that classic uh, narrative voice, but with very contemporary themes and, and characters, obviously. But I, I really uh, wanted to imbue it with, the, with that same narrative voice, you know, that E.B. White um, beauty with a little bit of Roald Dahl's cheekiness. Yeah. Right. And my last question is, 
um, as an Australian writer, how did you choose your editor and publisher? Sorry, well, I know you're here, but how did you choose your editor and publisher as an Australian writer? Well, fortunately, Jane chose me, uh, and and she is uh, objectively the best in the business. She is uh, she is the best publisher in Australia. There is no question about that. And so uh, it wasn't really you know my choice. I just feel grateful, very fortunate to have Jane's support, and I always have. Um, you know, I owe her the world. She's wonderful. And is sorry, is this Alan Unwin? That is Alan Unwin. Yes, oh, that's great. right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Alan and Unwin are uh, the most uh, amazing, staunch advocates and champions for Australian literature. Uh, you know, they have developed and represented the books that have shaped this country um, for, you know, the last 30, 40 years. Um, they do incredible work and, uh, you know, they're, they're to be uh, respected and admired for that. Craig, firstly, thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, it's thank you. always a thrill to hear an author read their own work. Very special. I've enjoyed your novels, especially Jasper Jones. I was fortunate to see the production at Belvoir in Sydney yeah. a few years ago, and I just wondered if you were able to see it and how that felt seeing it on stage. Oh, well, firstly, thank you very much, uh, and I appreciate your support. Um, I did have the privilege, the honour, of, of uh, seeing the, the Belvoir adaptation. It was a particular thrill for me because uh, my good friend, Kate Mulvaney, who wrote the stage play, also starred in it. Uh, she played Ruth Buckton, and she played her brilliantly, um, and it was extraordinary. You know, the wonderful thing about the theatre is uh, how different, how electric, how unusual it can be on any given night. You know, it's ephemeral. It happens and then it vanishes. Uh, and it lives on as a memory in the people who are fortunate enough to see it. And every stage production, you know, it was, it was brought on by five different major companies who all adapted Kate's stage play. And they were all vastly different. It was amazing. But for me, the extraordinary thing was being able to experience my story, my narrative, as any other audience member might. I was able to lose myself in it um, in a way that you don't really get to when you're writing it. Uh, and I certainly didn't get to with the film. I was a bit too closely aligned to it. You know? um, I was there as every scene uh, was, was put in the can. Um, and I was on set, and so it's a bit hard for me to delineate myself from, from the process. All I see are the kind of little mistakes and the things that I wish we'd done differently and um, you know, the adjustments we had to make. But the stage production swept me up, uh, and it, it took me to Corrigan, um, and it let me into these characters' lives, and it taught me something different each time about this story, which was an extraordinary honour. Honeybee is one of my favourite books of all time. I'm just wondering um, if you're thinking of, like, doing another book like that anytime in the future. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to adapt Honeybee for the screen uh, and to be part of a team to do it. Uh, it will be, uh, again, a, a really significant honour 
It'll be wonderful. And the opportunity to, um, as I mentioned, broaden the scope of the story, let some other characters speak for themselves a little bit, um, and maybe give them uh, the advantages of some subplots and to voice their desires and, uh, and, and their histories um, to a greater degree, I think is really exciting. So that also, potentially, I'm getting a, a, a way ahead of myself at the moment, but uh, presumably if things go well enough, we might be able to expand the story into, a, into further seasons. So that could be an opportunity, um, which I'm really excited about. I get a lot of messages from people who um, have connected really powerfully to that book, which is really beautiful. And they kind of demand to know how Honeybee is doing. Um, they, they want to know where she's at and what she's up to and uh, they, they ask for sequels and, and updates uh, because she lives on in their memories. It's a really beautiful thing and so there might be an opportunity to, to do that. But uh, as a novelist, you kind of... Uh, you get the story that you're given. Uh, you don't know where your ideas are going to come from, when they might occur to you uh, or why, but you just need to... Kind of be open to them and uh, reserve enough of yourself to to try and capture them. So, uh, if another story akin to Honeybee uh, comes my way, then I would love to work on it. Absolutely. And there was one more question on that side. No more. No. Oh, okay. Um, this this lady and then that lady, and then we might. Okay. Sure. Hello. Um, hi. The minute I heard you speaking on the book show about this book. I knew exactly the person I wanted to read it and to give it to, to read. There was something about the character. And I am interested that your main character is an 11-year-old girl as opposed to... Cause I, I, rightly or wrongly, I associate you with young boys' stories. Sure. In a sense. So I'm really interested what was it like for you to explore the mind of an 11-year-old girl? Well, you know, uh, women and girls aren't a different species. Um, you know, it wasn't a huge departure. Uh, you know, I felt like I knew Annie intimately uh, from the first moment she leapt into my thoughts. Um, she's such a positive, optimistic character, but her positivity isn't seeking to, to rewrite reality. She's a warrior. She's a sensitive kid. Um, and she has a lot on her shoulders. She's contending with a lot, and she wants to save her family. And I felt a great affinity with Annie, you know. Uh, I grew up in the country, uh, grew up in an orchard in a place called Dwellingham. We didn't have much. We lived in a shed. Um, and I still remember uh, the sound of that old adding machine uh, and my mum up late at night with bills and, and uh, papers around her and the stress and the worry and the anxiety that she was going through and I absorbed all of that. Um, I didn't quite have a, a remarkable canine friend who I could uh, pair up with and, and try and solve the problem but I, I wish that I could. Um, so there might be a bit of revisionist history in, in Runt, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I didn't have to seek too far to... to um, find a partnership with Annie and to understand her implicitly. We might make this the last question. 
Uh, it's a question. I thought we were very lucky to have the artist with us today. We are, yes. And I was just wondering if we could hear a few words from the artist as to how you went about your work for this particular I'm so sorry, project. Sarah, to just drop you in that. Is that okay? Is that, I mean... Yeah, that's fine. Is there anything specific you'd like to... <laughs> <laughs> Should I... Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, I was absolutely delighted to illustrate Craig's wonderful words and the characters that he's described were just fabulous uh, to illustrate and they came alive in my head and I, I really enjoyed exploring how to develop them. Um, my favourite, I think, was uh, also the villains, drawing the villains and that Craig's written some two fabulous villains in the book and when I'll just speak about Earl who it was quite difficult to draw because my um, description, written description, was that he had skinny legs, skinny arms, and a skinny face, but he had a huge body that looked like he'd hidden a wombat <laughs> up his shirt. And I thought, how, how do I um, develop this character? So I actually, at home, have hundreds of drawings of different baddies that have been inspired by politicians I won't mention, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, Stephen Fry, which was um, a, a great inspiration, as um, General Melchett. Oh my uh, goodness, yeah. yes. And the actual picture in the book where Earl is surveying a model of the town, um, of all the different farms he's hoping to take over as he's blocked up his dam, was inspired by Black Adder. Oh my God! And General um, Melchett. Uh, I think there's a um, a scene where they have just captured back some land, and uh, uh, General Melchett's uh, got this model under his nose, and he's saying, "We have, you know, we captured this amount of land in the last day," and uh, and he says, "What what scale is the model to?" And Captain Darling says, um, one to one. And it's a foot <laughs> <laughs> of land. So I had, I had a great time researching all of these um, different characters and going down all these little rabbit holes, um, uh, getting to know them. So, yeah, it was a wonderful project to work on. Oh, my Thank goodness. You. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you smuggled a wombat into your uh, <laughs> test of it out. Thank you, Craig. That's been a wonderful talk. Um, please join with me in thanking Craig. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, oh, and Sarah. Um, Craig's going to be here with Jay from The Constant Reader, um, signing books, selling books, and available to meet you. So please come down to the back and see you. Thank you so much, Great. Craig. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed spending your time with us. Catch up with more of our audio recordings and relive the discussion, insights and laughter of Writers at Stanton. To find out more about our other events and programs, please visit www.northsydney.nsw.gov.au forward slash library. Thank you for listening.